So the Hot Ones challenge wasn't so bad last night. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Opposite end. Uh, yeah, not enjoyable at all. <laughs> Well, welcome to episode 408 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm M- M- Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. We got another news desk, volume two, Brian. Yeah, maybe this, I, well, this will be a recurring thing because we called the first one volume one. We knew we'd have like a grab bag episode theme. So yeah, news desk, volume two, coming at you. Before we get into it, huge shout outs to our sponsor this week. Our sponsor this week is Baron Fig. And boy, howdy, we tweeted about Baron Fig this week and got a couple of replies, which was actually cool. We heard from Chris Puckett talking about their Squire pen. Chris mm-hmm. said, honestly, the Squire pen is my favorite pen of all time. I rock it every day. We also heard from Tigran Hakobian, who said, I have their pen and it's the best pen I've had. Mm-hmm. So community endorsed. What is Baron Fig? Baron Fig makes simple, useful, beautiful, and functional tools to help you think more clearly. They sell everything from guided journals, notebooks, writing instruments, like these pens that people are tweeting about, Mm -hmm. bags, desk organizers, travel kits, and more. It's really cool. It started out as a Kickstarter project, and now they have a massive inventory of tools to help you draw and think and get your ideas out of your brain onto a lovely piece of paper. They have everything from guided limited edition notebooks that have daily prompts and special designs to guided notebooks for things like coding, cooking, writing recipes, developing habits, reviewing things, or even dreaming. And of course, they've also got the basics. They've got that dot grid, ruled notebook, and just blank paper when you need that fresh, clean canvas. A couple extra cool details about Baron Fig. For every confidant notebook they sell, they plant a tree. And they also have tools for your team. This is how I first was introduced to Baron Fig, which was through GitHub branded Baron Fig notebook and a Baron Fig Squire pen. And they will do that for your team as well. Can't say enough good things about Baron Fig and the tools they make to help you think more clearly. If you go to baronfig.com slash design details, that'll get you 20% off your purchase of $50 or more. Once again, that's baronfig.com slash design details. Thank you, Baron Fig. Thanks, Baron Fig. Shout out to Plume, our golden ratio supporter this week. Plume empowers a billion smart devices at home and small businesses with a suite of adaptive Wi-Fi, AI security, and parental controls, and they're hiring product designers to build the future of smart home services. They're looking for people with two to five years of experience shipping products. You can learn more at designdetails.fm slash Plume. And Plume just raised a massive $270 million Series E so if you're looking for the time to jump, now's the time to jump. Thank you, Plume, for supporting the show. Thanks, Plume. Huge shout-outs to our VIPs, Marshall. Another batch of VIPs this week. Oh, yeah. Huge shout-outs to Madeline W., Zhu Nan, Martin, Tim Balzer, Vanessa Lin, Louis Yuja, Michael Wallace, and Jackiel Rothschild. Thank you all for supporting the show. Welcome to the fam. Yeah, Come on welcome in. to the fam. It's nice and warm in here. Dip your toe. Snag that first sidebar today. Mm-mm-mm. It's going to be a good one. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that every week, people like you who are enjoying the show, come on board into the fam on our Patreon. 
and make this show possible for us to record every single week. It starts at just a dollar a month. Just a buck a month. And when you join the club, you're going to get access to a bonus episode we call the Sidebar. Sidebar, Sidebar. Every week we release a Sidebar in addition to our main episode. And the Sidebar is a second episode. We cover an extra listener question, an extra design topic, and talk about more cool design stuff. This week we're talking all about negotiation tips. So if you're on the job hunt, maybe even at Plume. We're going to have some negotiation tips for you over in the sidebar. So if this is your first episode or your 408th and you aren't supporting the show, please consider doing that. You can go to patreon.com slash design details starting for just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. All right, let's get into it, Marshall. News Desk, volume two. Beep, 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 Okay, so Yelp redesigned their app icons. Yeah. Uh, have you seen these? I have. I, I read through the article you sent me. What do you think? Let's just start with high-level opinions, and then I want to talk about some like designy topics around this, because it has sort of... It, it's been an interesting icon redesign, because Design Twitter did what Design Twitter does, which is nothing new is good, but I want to talk about some of the challenges that the team must have faced. Anyways, initial impressions. Yeah, I mean... Who am I to say anything? But all right, I'll say some <laughs> shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just off the top, it looks more modern, right? I, I think I'm not much of a typography guy, but I like the word form updates they've made. I, I like the more geometric, like circular rather than tall stretched style. The burst shape doesn't seem like it's changed too much until they overlay it. And you're like, okay, they made some really nice kind of quality of life improvements to that shape of like kind of evening yeah. it out. And, you and know. they like kind of bulge the ends of the the star lines a little bit. So it actually feels a little rounder. I kind of like that. It's, it's the type of thing where you look at the new one and you're like, yeah, they didn't change anything. And then you look at the old one and you're like, yeah, it looks the same. And then they overlay them and you're like, oh, oh, oh. Boy, the other one was really fucked up, and then you can see the difference. You know, I think that's like a good change. We're like, yeah, I mean, it, it looks like how it's always looked. Like, oh no, 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 it's yeah. way cleaned up. I like what they did with the app suite as far as like differentiating the main app from kind of the satellite apps uh, right. by using background color. Iconography is big and bubbly and chunky, which is interesting. Like that's a that's definitely a style to go after, and I think they've made some good choices there, but also some bad choices. I could go into <laughs> uh-huh. that if we want to talk about that. But well, maybe we should like let's dig into it and perhaps interject here with we'll have a link in the show notes to Yelp's inside look at how they refresh their app icon style. So if you're listening, make sure you look through these so you know what we're talking about. Link in the show notes. But maybe Marshall, we can scroll to the bottom because I think their new visual style is interesting and. I don't know if I totally buy into the language that they've used to introduce it, but they certainly are going for depth and glossiness and shine and sheen. And there's drop shadows and inner shadows and yeah. subtle gradients across the board. That's what it breaks down for me is the yeah. inner and outer shadow with a gradient. Double. It's a double, yeah. Yeah. My Okay, why is this a problem, Brian? Here's why I think this is a problem. As humans, we have expectations for how 3D objects look. So we use highlight and shadow to determine the three-dimensional shape of an object when we look at it. No objects in real life have both an inner shadow and a drop shadow that I can think of, right? Unless it's some sort of optical illusion that is meant to do that, but like that doesn't happen in nature, right? Right. So when you when I look at this, my eye doesn't know what to see. Like, is it popping out or popping in? It's doing both simultaneously, right? Yes, exactly. I would say here's what I think they're going for. 
I could be wrong on this because they didn't actually explicitly call this out. And in fact, in their sort of isometric diagram of the different app icon layers, they don't say this. So I don't think I'm actually correct. But if I squint, here's what I kind of see in my head. The app icon in 3D is like a, a jelly-ish material, like a glassy, silicone kind of matte glass material. And the shadows are neither inset nor dropped. It is just the icon and, and the text Yelp are sort of lightly cut out of the glass, but in such a way that the light coming from the top casts a shadow inwards onto the white letters and icon because it's surrounded by sort of pink silicone glass, right? Uh-huh. But then there's the drop shadow because the shape of the icon overall is like a loafy piece of jelly. <laughs> Does this make sense? So the the letters aren't pushed all the way in. They're like halfway in. So they also cast a shadow through the rest of the jelly down to the base of the app icon. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. If if you picture this as like a, a loaf of jelly? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has that kind of, it would jiggle if I touched it kind of a vibe to it, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, I think there are some things you could do to get the look you're talking about that wouldn't create this kind of visual paradox that I'm yeah, getting yeah. now, but... Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I'm trying to squint and figure out a way that it could work physically. Here's another thing that kind of stuck out to me, is the app icon for Yelp Biz. It's like a marketplace uh-huh. awning store. Right. Mm-hmm. The bottom left and bottom right corners of that store, uh-huh. the inner radius is it's pretty generous and the outer radius seems smaller than the inner <laughs> radius. Yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe they're the same, but they should not be the same because when they are the same, they end up mm-hmm. creating this thicker corner, which maybe that was the intention, but typically you want to have concentric radii from a central point that both radii share. Right. Right. And there's a mathematical formula to that. It's something like the distance between the outer and inner edges divided by two. And that's how much you remove from the outer stroke or outer radius. I don't know. I can't Here's how I do it. Whatever your inner radius is and however thick the stroke is, those two numbers added become the outer radius. It's True. I think what you're saying is correct at a certain size. I think the mathematical formula where it's proportional gets you to like, it will scale to any radius size that are any distance apart from each other. But anyways, point taken. Yeah, I agree. I I find that the radius, like everything about the icons is bubbly, but even within that biz icon, sort of where the awning is cut out, those are all pretty sharp corners. Mm -hmm. And then on the res icon, the icon represents a table with four chairs around it. But the four chairs are all half circles with sharp corners as well. So there are lots of weird contrasts with we want it to be round and friendly and playful. And like the the word mark is incredibly round and bubbly to we have these instances of really sharp corners in certain places, which I don't know, makes it feel a little bit out of sync. Yeah, I mean, to that point, I think that the waitlist icon is a great translation of the word mark into an icon. Right, it has kind of the same thickness of those lines. the The terminals are rounded. Right, it, it feels like it's in the same family. Whereas, like you're saying, the sharp corners on the other ones feel like they needed to be 
rounded out or it needed to share that same radius, that same chunkiness to maintain that feel. Here's where I think I'm not buying into this. I think one of the arguments for why they have the main icon is the red background and the the satellite icons have a white background. But all of the icons have the word Yelp on it. And it felt like that was fighting against the point. I felt like this whole icon set would be much cleaner if they just used the glyph large and centered instead of having the word mark at the bottom of each icon. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, they've created their own style here. I mean, they're even kind of lauding it at the end of the the article of like, hey, we're excited to announce this whole visual style that we've created here. They should lean on that and just have the logo. Besides, you have probably the name of the app under the app anyways, right? Exactly. The name will always appear underneath, right? Yeah. The other thing when I saw this, it made me think of, are there other apps that I use where they include the name of the app on the app icon? And I did a cursory search through sort of my top apps. And it turns out this is actually quite a rare pattern. I think the most prominent app that I found that does this is Lyft, where Lyft's app icon is the word Lyft, but that's also their logo. HBO Max is another one, Grubhub. But otherwise, this is a very uncommon pattern, right? I feel like Amazon had it up until recently, until they went to the cardboard box. They had like blue shopping cart and a white field with Amazon below or above or something. Somehow that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can find some examples, but I got to say like, Of the several dozen apps I have on my phone, this is almost an anti-pattern or or an exception from kind of what's normally accepted or or feels right on the platform to have a word inside the app icon. So anyways, that was interesting. And I think that's why this design would have been stronger with just the glyph centered, enlarged a little bit drop the word yeah, fix some of those radii yeah. yeah i mean it sucks to like talk about somebody else's design because i'm sure they thought about this a lot more than i have um, yeah yeah but i mean as a as a first kind of reaction to it and and how i would do it just having seen it for a few minutes like yeah i mean it's fun yelp is a well-known app that has been around a long time and they redesigned their icon and we like to talk about icons but yeah i think this is one where we have more critique than praise but hopefully we've added reasoning to it so that it feels fair or at least there's some way that people could fairly agree or disagree with us and it's not so much like i like it or i don't like it yep okay shall we move on News story number two, Apple privacy. (sighs) I think this is yours. Marshall, you've been following the Apple privacy fucking controversy happening this week? No, this is what I have you for. Oh my gosh. I'm really struggling with how to think of this. I'm actually researching it more than I normally would, and I keep finding strong arguments on both sides. I'll give you the TLDR. So Apple's going to introduce two changes in iOS 15, Monterey, iPad OS 15, basically this year's updates. The first change is on iMessage. If you have a family account where your sort of children are registered under the same, I guess, iCloud family account, and if your children are under the age of 13, you can enable a parental setting where if an on-device machine learning algorithm detects nudity, either inbound or outbound, on iMessage, it will do some things like blurring it. It will prompt the child like, hey, are you sure you want to view this? Or are you sure you want to send that? And then if it happens locally, it will send a notification to the parent's device. Okay, so nothing hits Apple servers. This is all local and it's opt-in. 
And this one seems less controversial in my research. I think people are, it's like an opt-in parental setting. Sure, I'm turning that on. Okay, so the second one is a little more controversial and it needs a little bit of context. It's kind of technical. I'll try and describe it to the best of my abilities, but we'll also have links in the show notes to people who have explained this more clearly than I can. But loosely, there is a database of images somewhere of child sexual abuse material, CSAM, CSAM. And these images are horrible, but there's a database somewhere that says these are known images of actual abuse happening to children. And what is going to happen is those images can be fingerprinted in such a way that you could know if another image is a copy of an original image, even if it's slightly modified or changed from color to black and white or resized. The fingerprint has ways, I don't know the technical algorithm for it, but loosely you can know this image is that image without actually knowing what the contents of the image are, right? It's fingerprinting it into some long string or hash. And so what's going to happen is with the new software updates, a database of all of those fingerprints are going to go onto your phone and on iCloud Photo, all of your images will be fingerprinted and compared against that database of fingerprints. And if it triggers above a threshold of matches, so if more than a certain amount, we don't know the amount, of your photos match a known child sexual abuse material photo fingerprint, it will send an alert to Apple. And I think Apple has to forward that along to the authorities. So anyways, the whole framing of this is this is in the fight for reducing harm against children, fighting sexual abuse and child slavery and sexual slavery and like really horrible, shitty topics that everybody can agree are horrible things that we should absolutely fight against. The controversy is that what this does is gives Apple the ability to look at all of your photos, look in air quotes, because they're just looking at fingerprints. And what it does is it gives them ability to sort of peer into your photos on your phone. And what people are really particularly worried about is one, what this means for ownership. Like, what does it mean to have a phone or a hard drive with stuff on it in your hand? Like, you can kind of get the idea that like when you use a cloud service, you're sending your bits to somebody else's hard drive. But when you buy a phone, you spend $1,000 a phone and you have the photos on your hard drive and now Apple can kind of come in and fingerprint against this database. There's a lot of privacy concerns. And the big problem that people are pointing out is up until now, if Apple wanted to look inside your phone's contents, it's all encrypted. They couldn't do it. Technically, iCloud backups are unencrypted and that's what the FBI subpoenas against. But I don't know if you remember in the San Bernardino, there's a mass shooting and they're trying to get into the person's phone. And the government was asking Apple to unlock the phone. And Apple was like, we literally can't. We don't know, like there's no way to unlock the phone if we don't know the passcode. They didn't have the capability to do it. Well, with this change, they will now have the capability to scan the contents of an iCloud photo library for this kind of material. And what they're leaning on is a policy that says they will only scan against this database of known child abuse fingerprints. And so people are worried about, well, what if that policy changes? And what if different countries want Apple to upload different databases of different kinds of photos? You can imagine China uploading a database of fingerprints for Tiananmen Square and Tank Man. You could imagine countries where homosexuality is forbidden uploading a database of known homosexual images on and on and on. And so what this has done is it's flipped 
uh, I'm, I'm getting this from Stratechery. Ben Thompson wrote a great article about this, but it flipped from Apple didn't have the capability to do it. So they didn't have to worry about policy, right? They just didn't have the technical ability. Well, now they have the technical ability. And so they have to lean on policy to sort of safeguard abuse. And so people are worried that this is sort of a slippery slope into, well, let's start with child abuse. And then what happens after the next terrorist attack? Well, maybe we upload a bunch of known terrorist-related photos and then we sort of frame this stuff in the, the light of terrorism. And then what's after that? And so people are pretty concerned on both ends because on the one side, you know, obviously we want to stop people who are trading in the images of children being abused. And on the other side, there's an argument that that point, that this is to fight child abuse, is a very hard argument to fight against, to be an opponent of, when what you're really doing is trying to preserve the privacy of the contents of our digital lives, where we increasingly year after year have less and less of that privacy. So anyways, I just wanted to kind of, I guess, monologue that because I don't have a whole lot to add here. I'm still figuring out where I stand on this. It's like very complicated privacy. There's also technical bits, like there are rules and regulations and like how the fingerprinting works to try and avoid false positives. Yeah, um, that's my That was my first thought is like, they better hope this shit works exactly right the first time as soon as they launch it. Because if they get a bunch of false positives back, it's going to be not pretty. It's one of those things where a false positive could destroy someone's life. Exactly. Regardless of if, well, it's a false positive, so they're not guilty, right? But just the fact that the alert was triggered in the first place. Yeah. Bad implication. It puts a cloud over you. Yeah. How do you argue against that? I mean, this goes back to my point I always make, Brian. Every tool is a weapon. Every tool is a weapon. Every good tool that yeah. can be used to, for good can also be twisted for evil. The question becomes, do we, do we think we should create this tool? I think, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. Like, If people don't know this kind of scanning, this fingerprint scanning, already happens at most major tech companies, right? Every photo that's ever been published to Facebook has been scanned. I think Google Drive and all the cloud storage providers like Dropbox all of them scan for photos. A lot of email providers scan for photos. So this already happens, but I think it falls to that argument of, well, I'm storing bits on somebody else's hard drive. And I think now that that's moving on device is what has people particularly concerned. So I don't know, man. <laughs> it's a crazy world we live in, Brian. It is. Let's move on. I guess that was more of a PSA, but if there are others listening who are like me and just want more information to form an opinion, I'll drop a handful of links in the show notes below. Cool. Okay. Last news desk. Marshall, this one's yours. Yeah. So I sent you a video. I just tweeted this out earlier today. Um, and you rarely tweet. So this I is rarely a tweet. strong yeah. endorsement. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a little video about the Olympic pictograms. So all those little stick figures you've seen swimming and riding horses and smacking balls with rackets and stuff. Yeah, uh -huh. those are each specifically designed, as you can imagine. And they have changed over the years quite dramatically, more than I remembered or even noticed. So this video goes to kind of the history of that with some very interesting tidbits along the way and some really great design thinking and execution. When you sent this to me, I started watching and within, I don't know, two minutes, I was just like kind of lost in that world. I'm like, this is design candy. It's like, yes, these are the kinds of things that we love to think about, right? Well, 
maybe I'm using we too broadly because actually I'm not capable of doing design like this. This for me feels a lot closer like visual graphic design. I guess you'd call it icon design, which I have zero talent in, but I can watch a video like this and have an immense uh, appreciation and respect for when it's pulled off well, which in my opinion, both Tokyo 1964 and 2020 crushed it. Like their pictograms are so good. Yeah, I, I think the Tokyo ones are my favorite and maybe I'm mistaken, but I think they're the only ones that choose to remove the torso. I think all the other ones have some sort of representation of a torso, but the Tokyo mm. ones remove the torso and only have a floating head and floating arms and legs. And it allows for a lot greater expression of motion and pose and shape and silhouette than if you have to like cram a, a torso in there. You also have to like contend with the relative thickness of the torso compared yeah. to the arms and legs and all yeah. the other props in the thing. So it's like it just removes a whole lot. I, I don't know. It's super fucking clever. I never would have thought of it, and I love it. Well. And I particularly loved, there's a a section in the video where it sort of lays them all out on a grid and sort of highlights similar groups of pictograms and talks about like, okay, we need this group to feel separate from this group. But within these two groups, there's a subgroup and we need these to also feel separate. So you do all this crazy complex matrixing of like, all right, all these groups need to feel visually distinct yet be scannable and easily recognizable. And you got to know what the sport is universally by the way which is nuts and then this year they added motion to it so they all have like a motion transition in and a transition out component yeah they kind of like animate into the pose and pause freeze frame and then it animates out and everything shrinks to a circle i don't know if you noticed Uh that yeah super cool uh this is design candy we'll have a link to the video in the show notes i think everyone should watch this if only just as like a til right like I never thought about this. I actually kind of liked, I think the the Tokyo ones in both cases are my favorite. And like you, I don't know if it's the recency thing. But I also did like the sets where the, the host country brought in cultural elements. Oh, totally. Where it's like, oh, that's distinctly Chinese. Like, of course, this is the Beijing Olympics, right? And I think that's a sign of a really strong design. Maybe a little bit less on like the actual strokes and the silhouettes of the people and stuff. But like, the fact that it was distinctly Chinese while also having all these other constraints was impressive. Super cool. Check out the video. Uh, yeah, again, it's called uh, Olympic Pictograms Miniature Masterpieces by a creator named Linus Bowman. So, uh, yeah, and I think he's a graphic designer. Cool. Well, maybe this is just a nice bleed over into cool things, Marshall. Cool things. Yeah. I got a real quick one. Yeah. Kind of a follow-up to a previous cool thing. Last time Billie Eilish released an album, I had it as a cool thing, and I talked about it for quite a bit. She was still on her rise to the top. She is firmly at the top of the uh, particular lane that she sits in now. So I'm sure you know that her album is out. It's called Happier Than Ever. But I can confirm it is very good. Not very many skips on there. I think the title track, Happier Than Ever, might be her best work yet, especially paired with the music video. But yeah, Billy and her brother Phineas just killing it again. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've listened straight through. I'll listen after this. What's your cool thing? My cool thing is a shared cool thing because last night, Marshall, we had movie night and we yeah. watched The Suicide Squad. We did. Important to call it the The. The, the yes. Suicide Squad. By, this is written new, and directed by James Gunn. Yeah. The new James Gunn. Yeah. Here's my review, Marshall. We laughed most of the time. Yes. It was very fun. It was just a 
fun, funny, goofy. And in my opinion, it's the first DC movie that I've watched that I didn't cringe that much going through it. Like most of the other DC movies, I like really struggle at times. Like this is taking itself way too seriously. And this swung the opposite way. It didn't take itself seriously at all. And it was just fun. Yeah, I I think aside from the Nolan Batmans, the new Joker and Shazam, I think this is the other one that is good or palatable above bad in the DC (laughs) DC universe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I also, I've been kind of following loosely just the headlines about it's not making that much money. And there's lots of reasons you could imagine. One is the name. Like I think people associate it with the more recent Suicide Squad, which didn't do well. But I think it's interesting more like how the landscape of how we evaluate successful movies is changing. And I saw a quote today was from James Gunn and he was like not worried about box office because he realizes that this movie is one that will be on television for forever. It will be on streaming services for forever. And it's one of those movies that is good enough that if you watch it on a streaming service a year from now on HBO, you'll say that was worth my HBO subscription and keep the subscription going. Right. So like financially it's just spread out way longer than what we're used to. And we're used to evaluating it based on like first and second weekend box office earnings. And I think the landscape has to shift a little bit now that it's doing either streaming only or simultaneous streaming in theater. Yeah. Speaking of hot ones, uh-huh. Matt Damon did an episode recently where oh, he yeah, was yeah, yeah. talking about this exact mm. thing and talking about how like they used to be able to rely on DVD sales to support more adventurous movie choices as far as like, you know, trying scripts that might not make their money back, but you know, let's take a chance. It was always a risk, but now it's especially a risk because you don't have DVD sales to fall back on. So yeah, that's really interesting. I, I mean, I will watch this movie again. I was saying I need to watch this movie again while we were watching the movie. (laughs) I think we were like halfway through and you're like, I think I'm going to watch this again. Yeah. And, and, you know, I do watch movies again, so that's not completely out of left field, but Uh it's very good. And man, I really hope that other people like it. Um, I watched the Red Letter Media review and they were very positive on it. That makes me think that hopefully this will have a good life for it because I I want DC to realize that James Gunn killed it on this one Uh and do more like this. Like, yes, this is the formula. Grimdark, super serious is not the way forward. The way forward is let auteurs do their thing. Don't touch them. Just let them do their thing and you'll make money. Just leave them alone. Yeah, I, I am in the same boat. I just hope the message doesn't get lost in lackluster box office earnings because I, I want them to make more of this. So 100% agreed. What's Rotten Tomatoes look like? Very good. I think 92%. Well, there you go. Yeah. I, obviously, money makes a big difference, but like sentiment makes a huge difference as to whether or not a director gets a second chance. You know? There you go. Yeah. Cool thing, Brian. Cool thing, fun movie night, episode 408 of the Design Details Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. If you enjoyed it and want to keep listening to us talk about design, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash design details and support us for just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. And you'll get access to the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. A weekly bonus episode. Get access to the whole backlog. Today's sidebar where we talk about negotiation tips and strategies for the job interview. And of course, future sidebars, double episodes going forward. Once again, that's patreon.com slash design details. 
And of course, a huge shout out to Baron Fig who made this episode possible. Baron Fig makes simple, beautiful, and functional tools to help you think more clearly. Go pick up a notebook, pick up a Squire pen at baronfig.com slash design details. When you go there, they're going to automatically apply a 20% off code for purchases over $50. So once again, that's baronfig.com slash design details. And that's it. We'll catch you next week. Bye. And I'm M- M- Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. How are you doing, Brian? Welcome to the Thunderdome. Jesus. <laughs> Sunday, 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 Brian. <laughs>